All right, guys, we'll go ahead and get started. I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here. Thankful for the opportunity that we have to enjoy this time of fellowship together as your people. Pray that it would encourage our hearts. I'm thankful, too, that we can spend some time looking at what it means to be a parent that brings glory to you. And I pray that you would help us to be faithful in the responsibilities that you've given us and the stewardship that you've entrusted to us and our children. We want to do our very best, and we know that we need your help with that. So we pray that you would help our hearts to be teachable tonight. And I pray that you would help me to be able to speak wisdom and and to be helpful to those here in this room. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, how we doing? How's this week? Do you evaluate discipline in your home? What's your evaluation? Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? probably add a day every time we have to address it. It's probably what I would have done. Like take the thing away from day. Yeah. Like just let the first discipline be, you're not going to have this today. It's going to sit on the top shelf in your closet, and at the end of the day we can talk about your attitude, and if it persists, and you're like, tomorrow's gone too. If it persists, the next day's gone too. And that may not change things in the moment, but it'll help get the point across, you know, and over time it will make a difference. Oftentimes new discipline like that, it's hard for kids to react in a way that's helpful. <laughs> I mean, our kids have had things sitting on their top shelf for weeks on end before, so... Other thoughts? I think getting back to the consistency of discipline kind of especially with a little child it's kind of it was it was tough to discipline consistently. Oh yeah. And she knows it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I think that's something that's, I guess, I think through the week is, I mean, it's not like the discipline's gotten less, but I think it's become more effective. It's like consistently. Yeah. Like, that's just, I'm reminded of what we did with our oldest, and so it kind of helps. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they'll be here to the first time, because, you know, you can get lax 
impacts on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good. I've been having AB like repeat to me that we obeyed um, all the way right away and with a happy heart. And then I've been trying to explain to her like what those things mean. Because I can say that to her and have her repeat it to me, but she's, you know, two, almost two and a half. She doesn't necessarily know it. What does it mean to have a happy heart? So I feel like it's been a really good teaching moment for me to explain to her like what does it mean to do something all the way or right away or when your heart is happy so I feel like that's been really helpful for me yeah for sure that's what faithfulness is it's teaching and instruction using discipline to do that that's good anyone else in our house where they go sit in that room and they think about it until we go in there and I've found myself getting less angry yeah and usually I'm like okay you're grounded for a month and then I'm like that's not a punishment for me (laughs) 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 and so just having that time to think through it myself and go over it and even you know we sat both of our kids or all of our kids down and we're like we've been really bad about parenting we're really bad with consistency, but it's going to change. Yeah. And our kids were like, uh-huh, sure. And so this last week has been interesting in our household. An adjustment. Yes. Yeah. But our kids are like, oh, I need to obey right yeah. away. Okay. Yeah. They keep telling each other that. That's good. That's good. That's good. It's encouraging to hear. I had experience with our middle middle kid this week. She sometimes when we give her instructions, we don't always give her instructions to her age range. Sometimes we give her instructions as we would give to Micaiah. And so for me repeating what I wanted her to do and having her repeat it back to me actually helped avoid discipline uh, this weekend a couple of times. Just having her go through the multi-steps of what I wanted her to do and accomplish was, I just seemed helpful for her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, accomplishing and avoiding the discipline. Yeah, that's great. That's helpful for us too, right? Yeah. If we can teach without having the discipline, it's great. I'd say every kid responds differently to things like that as well. You know, maybe Micaiah retains it without having to repeat it back but for some it helps them to process it when they're speaking it back to you we have a we have a son that's emotional and so when we tell him something that he doesn't necessarily like he'll he'll start crying almost like a tantrum fit type cry would you give them time to control themselves or get themselves under control and yeah. so, is there, how long <laughs> to control himself? Yeah, we probably would have just had our kid go sit on their bed. Just for, Yeah, for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Or until we could tell that they had calmed down enough that we could go have a conversation with them. 
and then let them try again. But if the attitude persists, it would have led to a spanking in our home at sure. some point. Yeah. But they so need in between time. Of yeah. Initially, when it happens, to okay, you're not getting yourself under control. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be reasonable with them if they're an emotional basket case. So you need to give them time to calm down so you can talk things through. But We found sending them to their room and having them sit on their bed was helpful. Probably more so with Eden than any of them. We did that a lot with her. It's worth a try. Anyone else? I have a question. <clears throat> yeah, man. Um, so, one and a half, two year olds. Uh, like, the screaming cry, like, is that. Is that grounds for, like, discipline? Because you don't, you don't necessarily want them screaming outrageously or anything like that, especially if it's borderline temper tantrum, right? From your perspective, would that be? That's an example in my lesson tonight. So if I don't answer your question while I'm talking, ask me again after. But I'll address that because I was a dad who did not tolerate screaming. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Thank you. All right. Well, tonight, well, I think something that I did want to say that I maybe didn't say last week when we were talking about specifics of discipline um, is that dads, you need to be the primary disciplinarian in the home. I think this is just good for us as dads to take leadership in this way naturally because many moms are home with their children during the day. They do a lot of the disciplining, so they have a lot more opportunities to do that. Um, but I think this is why it's important for us as dads to be the enforcers of discipline when we are home. Number one, it's a God-given responsibility, right, for us to lead our family, and this is a way that we can lead our family. Number two, it's a blessing to our wives because they do a lot of it during the day, and it's helpful to them that we would serve them in that way. And I think it's also good for our kids to see us as on the same page. Like they're getting disciplined from mom during the day. They need to be disciplined from dad when you're home. So I think the only times I struggled with doing it is when it was something that I didn't see happen. And then Julie would say, can you discipline them for this? I struggled more with it then because I wasn't necessarily a part of the disobedience. But I think even then, many times... Um, I would have Julie and the child just work me through the situation and, and then still be the one that would enforce the discipline. And there's also times, I think, especially with Hunter, that he would get disciplined by Julie, and then I'd reinforce when I got home because it's just different with boys. They're, they like to push against mom, and they don't really see her as an authority in the home. So I, we did that just trying to help Hunter see that what mom says is the same thing that dad says. Um, and that wasn't every time he got spanked, but there were certain things that he did that were a big enough deal that, that I definitely reiterated 
the discipline when I got home. So, how old was he when you started seeing that? Oh man, it it was young. It's interesting how you see it at a young age in boys. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Hunter's a very. He's a very soft kid, a very emotional kid. But there's just something about boys that they really push against mom being an authority in the home. So we need to help our wives with that. You guys really need to emphasize the importance of your kids respecting and obeying mom in the home. And that's that's something that only dads can do. Like moms can try hard to make that happen. But that's something I think only our boys will see that level of respect when we're like, yeah, what mom says goes. And, I, and we're on the same team. You're not going to come between us. So <clears throat> I didn't really talk about that last week, but I just wanted to emphasize that to you today. Um, this evening we're going to look at priorities to achieve and pitfalls to avoid in our discipline in the home. Priorities to achieve and pitfalls to avoid. We can see these in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll read verses 18 through 21. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. In these verses, we see what the individual members in the family are commanded by God to do. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands. Husbands are commanded to love their wives and not be harsh with them. And children are commanded to obey their parents in everything. We talked about the relationships within the family a few weeks ago when we talked about family structure and how those relationships are to be prioritized within the home. But this evening we'll look specifically at verses 20 and 21 of Colossians 3 where Paul tells children to obey their parents. And then he tells parents not to provoke their children. So if you look at verse 20, children are commanded to obey their parents. And how are they commanded to obey? In everything. And we talked about this a little bit last week too. But parents, your children are commanded by God to obey you in everything that they do. And we know that children don't naturally come into this world wanting to do that, right? They're sinners. But our children will give an account before the Lord in this command that he gives them. And you and I will be held responsible before God as parents for teaching our children how to obey so that they might glorify the Lord in their obedience. God commands our children to obey. This is their responsibility. But it's our responsibility as parents to teach them what obedience is and then to hold them to that standard of obedience. And remember, obedience isn't our children doing what we say when they feel like it, or when they have time, or with a half-hearted effort. Obedience is them doing what they're told right away, with all of their heart, 
with an attitude that desires and is happy to obey. And that's something that we can't force, right? They may have a smile on their face, but their heart is seething, right? But we want them to do it with joy in their hearts. Obedience, or this is a huge responsibility for us as parents. I think God was smart when he had us have kids at a young age, right? It's exhausting. It's hard work. Uh, But what an amazing responsibility and a privilege we've been given by God to teach our children what is best for them. And according to God, that is obedience to mom and dad. Obedience is best because in teaching them to obey us as their parents, we are instilling in them an understanding of their relationship with a holy God. We saw in Deuteronomy 6 in week 1 that every moment in life is an opportunity for us to teach our kids about God and his gospel. Whether we're walking or sitting, whether we're rising in the morning or going to bed at night, and every moment in between, every minute of every day, we are given opportunities to teach our children the truth of who God is and what he commands us in his word. So parents, be consistent in your discipline with the motive of being faithful to God and teaching your children what obedience is. This should be our priority. And I know that specific examples have been helpful to Julie and I along the way. So I want to give you some specific examples of how you may be able to begin to teach your children obedience even from the very youngest ages. We talked last week about kids needing boundaries, and even though they push back against those boundaries, they really are something that kids desire to have. Boundaries help kids feel loved and safe and protected, and having boundaries is good for them, so we need to give them clear and consistent boundaries. One of the very first things, I think I even mentioned this last week, that we taught our kids was to keep their food on the table or on their tray. We learned early on with Ashlyn that children would rather have their food on the floor than on the table, right? This was one of the earliest ways to teach our children obedience. As soon as they're sitting in a chair, they need to learn that mealtime is a time that we sit down to eat our food as a family. And once they're old enough to eat real food, they need to be expected to eat what mom or dad has made for them as a family. It doesn't mean that every food has to be their favorite food, but it's good for them to learn to be thankful for the food that God has provided and the food that mom has gone to work to make. The Lord started us with our first child, definitely being our most picky eater. And this was good for Julie and I because it provided us an opportunity to learn to be faithful in our parenting and to expect obedience from our children, even in something as simple as, as eating a meal. Now remember from last week, we need to learn to differentiate between childishness and sin. So the first time our children throw their food on the floor, it's not necessarily sinful. If we haven't created a boundary for them yet and told them, no, we don't throw our food on the floor, we leave it on the table, right? Once we've set that boundary for them, Oftentimes, they'll respond immediately by throwing their food on the floor again. And they're testing you to see if what you just said is for real. Is mom or dad really going to follow through with what they just told me? 
So when they throw their food on the floor the second time, it is sin, right? Because you've just instructed them, we don't do this. So this time you need to hold them to that standard and you need to expect obedience. And sin demands discipline. So something that Julie and I did with our kids at this age of them being in a high chair, kind of the the pre-spanking age for us was to inflict pain in the place where our children were choosing to sin. So in something like this, we would have slapped their hand. I think it's just helpful for them to associate my hand is what's doing the action. The sin that's in my heart, my hand is carrying it out, right? So we would have slapped their hand. I think we need to help our kids starting from the youngest ages to identify that their heart is wanting to sin and then their hand is aiding in that sin. Jesus said, cut the hand off if it causes you to sin, right? We don't want to do that. (laughs) So we just slapped their hand. But I think the point is we need to be radical, right, with sin. And I think it helps to identify um, the part of your body that is aiding in that sin. So Stefan, another boundary or rule that we set was no screaming. Some kids are screamers and some kids aren't. Some children just have a natural reaction to everything in life, and that is a scream. But we should want our children to learn to respond the right way to the things in life, and not everything deserves a scream, in my opinion. Now, I know that when they're an infant, they do do cry, and sometimes scream because this is their only form of communication. And God has given moms an ability to be able to decipher screams and cries to know what the problems are and if they're serious or not. But usually once they're old enough to sit in a high chair by themselves, they're communicating in different ways. And these years, the screaming, I think, needs to be controlled. Screaming usually happens when they're not getting what they want or how they want it. And you as the parent need to understand the situation. If your child is screaming out of fear or just being startled by something, that's not sinful. So you need to be able to determine if that's the case. And you don't need to discipline for that. But if your child is throwing a temper tantrum and screaming to get their way after they've been instructed that this is not the way to respond when they don't get what they want, then discipline is necessary. When our kids were really young, we'd flick them in the side of the cheek, right at the mouth when they screamed to help them identify my mouth is making this noise. So we flick them in the cheek. And again, remember, we don't ever want to discipline out of anger or frustration, right? our, Our goal is not to harm them or hurt them but it does need to be painful enough that they associate pain with the consequence of sin. So we need to be reasonable and and age-appropriate, I think, too, in in, um, how we inflict that pain. Um, Another reason why we wanted to teach our kids not to scream in certain situations was so that we could encourage them to scream in the right situations. We want them to learn to be respectful to those around them, and being loud and obnoxious is not respectful. Throwing a fit and screaming is not respectful, and it's not obeying authority. But on the other side of that, 
we taught our kids that if they were ever in a position of feeling in danger or someone is trying to harm them or even take them, then we wanted them to scream long and loud so that we knew as parents, like, this isn't normal. Something is wrong. This way, Julie and I would know they were in real danger and they needed our help. Is that helpful? Yeah. Um, another example that I think we'll all experience at some point as kids move out of baby stage and into the being mobile stage is that kids love to get into the kitchen cabinets. Some kids would be constantly emptying the contents of the kitchen cabinets onto the floor for mom to clean up, right? We taught our kids that the kitchen cabinets were off limits to them. The kitchen was mom's workspace, not their playpen. And once they knew that the cabinets were not supposed to be opened by them, they were disciplined if they disobeyed. I would say, parents, you shouldn't have to lock your cabinets to keep your kids out of them. This is an opportunity for you to teach your children obedience. So use the opportunity that's been provided. As they got older, Julie would then let them get in cabinets for certain things. I remember our kids enjoying getting the big plastic spoons and big plastic bowls and beating on them like drums. So, I mean, it needs to be age appropriate. You know, sometimes those boundaries change as our kids get older. Sometimes those boundaries are no more and we create new boundaries for our kids. Um, So, yeah, you need to be willing to make changes as your kids grow up and and loosen your hold a little bit. One thing that I thought of today, even as we were getting ready this morning in our house for our kids, our kids have definitely moved out of that toddler stage and are into grade school and middle school and high school. So rules and boundaries in our home look a lot different today than they did when we were in the phase of family like many of you are. But something that we've established for our kids this year is they eat school lunches most of the time, but there's days that they don't prefer that. So we give them the option of taking a lunch one or two days a week. But they've gotten instructions from mom that it needs to be started the night before, and then they need to finish before 7.15 a.m. the morning of. And if they don't, they don't get to take their lunch. Well, Eden likes to sleep in. She likes to not get up when she's supposed to get up. So there's been times that Eden has wanted to take a lunch that she's not been able to take a lunch. But even that in itself is effective form of discipline for her because she's excited to take enchiladas and she doesn't get to take enchiladas today. You know what I mean? So there's things like that 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 you start to implement even as your kids get older and and boundaries that you create for them. Um I think another example as kids get older is screen time. Your children should have a set time daily that they can be on a screen or not be on a screen, whether that's TV, whether that's a gaming console, whether that's a computer or a tablet. They need time limits and they need restrictions. This is good for them. I would say that when they're really young, their boundaries are really restricted. For our kids, when they were toddlers, we'd give them a max of 15 to 20 minutes of TV time a day. 
Like it doesn't need to be very long. And then you need to stick to that. Once they've watched that long, you need to have them shut it off. As our kids have gotten older, we've increased that time a little bit because they don't do it every day. And like for Hunter, he doesn't play a lot of video games, but if he sits down to play a game of football, we want him to be able to finish it, right? So we allow him to play for 45 minutes to an hour if and when he asks to do something like that. So again, it needs to be age appropriate and you need to be reasonable, but your kids should not be on TV all day long because that's not parenting. That's not taking opportunities to teach them and instruct them. So set clear boundaries and then hold them to those boundaries and rules. Those examples helpful? I'm sure that we could come up with more. I know that every home is different and I wouldn't necessarily expect you to have the same boundaries that we set in our home. Every home is going to be different and that's okay. But the important thing is Colossians 3.20 commands children to obey their parents in everything because it pleases the Lord. And as parents, we are the ones responsible to teach our children obedience. And we do this by establishing rules, guidelines, and boundaries for our children to have to obey, and then being consistent and following through with discipline and consequences when they don't obey. So if we are not teaching our children obedience in the home, then we're not being faithful as parents. Because this is what God has instructed them to do, and we must teach them to do it. So that's priorities to achieve. Any questions so far? Yeah. So on the back to disciplining, like say, for instance, spanking, but I guess it could be applicable to, you know, flicking the cheek or slapping the hand, or it could be something as, you know, saying, well, hey, you're not allowed to play your game for you know for the rest of the day if you if you give the discipline for instance i've spanked my son before and he responded with oh that didn't hurt do you then oh yeah son (laughs) (laughs) thanks for letting me know right Right? yeah you want it to hurt so i would have done it again yeah but, it, I mean, kids aren't wise enough to know not to tell you, right? They're pretty honest. So, yeah, I would say in spanking or any, in any form of discipline, you want it to be painful, but you don't want to harm them. And You just have to be able to determine what that is for your kid. You know, if you're leaving marks, that's not okay. So you need to be careful. And if you notice that, then you need to change how you're spanking or where you're spanking or whatever, Like, yeah, I would say once a kid is old enough to be spanked, we wouldn't have slapped their hand or flicked their cheek anymore. But even when they were young, if you're leaving a mark flicking their cheek, you shouldn't do that. So you need to then change where you're flicking it or how hard you're flicking it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you want the consequence to be painful. And I would say even for Hunter, like I know that he was just more thick-skinned than our other kids. So he oftentimes he was like, huh, I don't really care. You know, <laughs> it wasn't a big deal then to get spanked. So then we had to find other ways to enforce discipline for him. I would say earlier than for the girls, because I just noticed that it wasn't as effective for him as 
doing push-ups or running down and backs on the driveway or something like that would have been for him, so. Other questions? Okay, now we'll talk about pitfalls to avoid. We see this in Colossians 3.21. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul tells us not to provoke our children in a way that would lead them to discouragement. Ephesians 6.4, very similar passage, Paul says to not provoke them to anger. This is the idea of exasperation, frustration, or excessive irritation. And Paul names fathers here, maybe because dads are more prone to provoking our kids than moms are. I know in our home I see that mom is just naturally more nurturing. She's more gracious. She's more caring. A mom's heart for her children is different than a dad's heart for his kids. Dads can tend to abuse their power and their authority. And Paul addresses fathers specifically, but I do think this is for both dads and moms. And there can be numerous ways that we as parents may provoke our children to anger and cause them to be discouraged. So I want to bring to your attention nine ways tonight that you may be provoking your child. This is not an exhaustive list. Some of them I've gotten from MacArthur's book. He kind of has a section similar to this in his book. Um, But I did come up with some of my own as well. I think it's important for us to realize that each one of our kids are unique with their own personality and their own emotions. God has wired them each differently, and they won't all be affected in the same way by the same things. So as parents, we need to learn our children and know what sets them off so we don't discourage them both intentionally and unnecessarily. So as we go through these nine ways that we can be prone to provoke our children, really be thoughtful and intentional to examine your own heart and your parenting to see which of these you may have a tendency toward. So number one, you provoke your child by overprotecting. Overprotecting. Overprotective parents do not allow their children any liberty. They have strict rules about everything. No matter what their child does, parents do not trust them. And because the child cannot earn their parents' trust, the child believes that how he behaves is irrelevant. Oftentimes this leads to rebellion. We just talked about creating boundaries for our kids. We need to have guidelines for them. But those rules that we make for them should never become a noose that strangles them. Making rules doesn't free us from our responsibility to teach and instruct. We need to communicate with our children why those rules are there, and we must loosen the grip little by little as they get older. As they show responsibility, we need to trust them with more. Our goal is to help prepare them to leave our home and to live life on their own. So protection is a good, right, and necessary thing, but overprotection can lead to provoking our children to anger and can lead to discouragement. Number two, showing favoritism. Showing favoritism. Oftentimes this is done without us even realizing it when we compare our child to a sibling or to one of their friends in an unfavorable way. 
when we cause our children to think that they are not acceptable because they are not like someone else, we may be tempted to say things like, well, Sally never acts this way. Why can't you be like her? When we do this, we can create in them a terrible sense of frustration. Instead of comparing, we should be thankful for how our children are all created unique and different. Don't play favorites with your children. Don't show partiality. Don't compare them. We need to rejoice in their differences. Number three, depreciating their worth. Depreciating their worth. Many children have been convinced that what they do and feel is not important. And this comes from parents not being willing to sit and listen to their children. Children who are not listened to may give up trying to communicate and become discouraged and withdrawn. Every child is unique, and every child feels valued by their parents when they get special attention one-on-one. When they know that dad and mom care enough about them to take time to listen to them, this proves they are valuable to you. So the next time you're on your phone sending a text or checking Facebook, the next time you're on the computer shopping at Amazon or Kohl's and your six-year-old comes up to you and wants to show you the picture that they've just colored, stop what you're doing, put down your phone, and give them your full attention. Show them that they are valuable to you. Number four, we may provoke by setting unrealistic goals. Setting unrealistic goals. Parents do this by never rewarding their children or never letting them feel like they've succeeded at something. Nothing is ever good enough. So the child never gets approval. Mom and dad, look for the good things that your children do and praise them for it. Don't set goals for your child knowing ahead of time that they won't be able to succeed. Don't set goals for your child knowing they won't be able to succeed. If you notice the goal is too much for them, scale it back so it's reachable. We must push them to grow, but if we never allow them to succeed, we will only provoke them to anger. Number five, failing to show affection. Failing to show affection. We as parents need to communicate love to our children, both verbally and physically. Failing to do this will discourage and alienate the child. All kids need and should receive both verbal and physical affection. But some need it shown more one way than the other. I remember for a time our third daughter, or our third child, Kenna, was she just needed more hugs than the rest of the kids did. And I knew this about her, but there were times that I didn't desire to give her a hug. And that's not okay. That's not okay. When we sense that in our children, we need to be affectionate with them in physical ways like that. <clears throat> now she's in middle school and she doesn't want hugs. hugs from them. <laughs> so now it's Eden. Eden likes hugs. Failing to show affection can be a way that we provoke our children to discouragement. Number six, having a lack of standards. Having a lack of standards. This is the opposite of overprotection. When we as parents fail to discipline our children or discipline them inconsistently, they're left to figure things out on their own. 
especially at the youngest ages, children cannot handle this type of freedom, and they begin to feel insecure and unloved. Boundaries are good and healthy and will cause our children to know they are loved by us. Number seven, criticism. Criticism. Parents should seek to create within the home a positive, constructive environment. I know I really see this in myself, a sinful tendency to criticize my kids. It's so easy for me to point out the bad things that they're doing, but never use the positive things to build them up and encourage them. Julie and I have tried to make it a habit over the years that for every one negative thing we point out, that we also try to point out at least two positive things that we see in them to encourage them. This is hard for me in parenting, but it's so important. We provoke our children when we criticize them. Number eight, neglect. Neglect. Parents who are not involved in the lives of their children are neglecting them. Children need more time with dad and mom than just seeing them before they head out the door for work in the morning or telling them good night from your recliner at bedtime. When children are neglected, they feel unloved and unwanted, and there's no foundation for a good relationship as they grow older. Parents need to be involved in the lives of their children. Maybe they enjoy different things than you enjoy. That's okay. Enjoy the things that they enjoy. Spend time doing those things with them. Take time with each one of your kids, one-on-one. Take them out for breakfast. If you go to the store to run an errand, take one of them with you every time. Every time. Those one-on-one times with your kids to have personal conversation with them is so precious. And it gives you opportunity to hear their heart, to ask them questions, probe their heart one-on-one. It shows them that you love them. So don't provoke your children by neglecting to spend time with them. And number nine, disciplining excessively. Disciplining excessively. This is the parent who abuses their child either verbally, emotionally, or physically. They say things to their child that they would never say to anyone else. You and I should never discipline our children in anger. Rather, lovingly correct them just as our Heavenly Father does us. This doesn't mean you never discipline, right? Physical discipline is necessary, and it's good when done in the right way. It should always be done in love and not anger. So these are nine ways that we can be prone to provoke our children. And maybe you've even thought of more as we've worked through these nine tonight. Dads and moms, may it never be our intention to cause our children to lose heart and become discouraged. And when we see one of these sinful tendencies in our relationship with our child, may we be quick to confess it and to turn from it. I would say that there's maybe even one more pitfall, just pride in general, but I think I've seen it specifically in two ways in my own heart in raising kids. So you can add these to your list. Two areas of pride and unwillingness to confess your sin. There will be many times throughout the years of your raising children in your home that you will make mistakes, sinful mistakes. 
And the temptation for us as parents can be to hold our children to a standard of obedience and discipline them for their sin, while all along never helping our kids understand that mom and dad are sinners too. We're going to fail. Our kids are smart. They know we sin. They see us sin. They hear us sin. So we're not fooling them. So when you sin against your child, confess your sin to them. I'm honestly amazed when I do this, how quickly and easily our children have forgiven me. Children forgive easily. So don't be so proud to think that you don't need to confess your sin to your kids. And second, another area of pride, don't be indifferent towards your own sin that you see in your kids. This has really humbled me as a parent. There have been many times that I see my sin in my child, and I have to discipline them for a sin that I know they saw me or learned from me to do it, right? Or to say it, to speak that way. Those times are humbling, but it's also God's grace to me and to you that he would help us to see our sin in that way. It's a way that we can identify sin in our heart. So when you recognize that, be quick to confess your sin to the Lord. Thank him for revealing it to you in that way. And then make it your aim to speak differently, to act differently, to think differently. So don't be indifferent towards your sin. When you see your sin in your child, call it what it is, confess it to your kids and to the Lord, and then make an effort to put that sin off. Any questions? I think sometimes it's helpful to see those things in a negative light. Oftentimes it's easier for us to identify those sinful tendencies when we see them in that way. So hopefully that serves you well. You can see your homework there. A few questions for you guys to work through at home together this week. How are you provoking your child to anger or discouragement? What sinful tendencies do you see in yourself that need to change in this area? What sin have you been unwilling to confess to your child? I hope that you guys will just be able to spend time this week thinking through these things and making the necessary changes in your own heart, but also in your home to serve you and your family better. Any other thoughts? Yes, ma'am. talking about obeying dad the first yeah. time but not mom yeah. do you expect first time obedience when dad's not home <clears throat> but it doesn't happen. so do you discipline then every single time yeah huh not every, not every time, single no. time i would start there okay. like if he gets away with it with mom and not with dad yeah. he knows that okay. he's smart so I, I would say start there be consistent in disciplining him for those things first time but I would say too like that's why it's so important Stefan for you to be involved when you're home 
because it's just an opportunity for you to reinforce the things that mom is saying as well, you know. But kids know when, when they'll get by with something with mom or even vice versa. Like maybe in some homes it's dad that lets them get by with things a couple times before they would finally discipline. But kids know that. So they'll get by with as much as they can. <laughs> Was there ways that you could tell the difference between a child's sinful reaction to your standard or your punishment versus you actually provoking them to that anger? I think for me it was really obvious with Hunter. I, I sensed it just in my own heart with Hunter. Like specifically when we moved from spanking him to doing push-ups for discipline there were times I would intentionally give him more push-ups than I knew he could do and that's provoking him to anger you know so that's really when I started to identify it in my relationship with Hunter like I should that's just not something we should do he should be able to reach the standard you know so that he can be successful um I think another way that we would often do it as parents is some kids can tolerate joking around and, in a sense, being made fun of more than other kids can. So when we're intentionally poking at them, when we know that they can't handle that in their heart, that's provoking them to anger. Some kids can just go along with it, and it's not a big deal, you know. But I know that there's... Kenna would be a lot more sensitive to things like that in our home than the others would. So I shouldn't be intentionally poking at things to irritate her, you know. Those are probably a couple of ways that I've seen it, just in my own attitude towards my kids that I've been aware of over the years. It's really about being, I guess, aware and conscious of how your children are. Right. We need to know them, yeah. They're all unique and different and respond differently to those things. But I think we even know it in our heart when we're doing it to provoke them, right? We sense that. So we need to be aware of our own heart, too. So we have a, we have a bedtime routine. Like we clean up the house. They, they're supposed to clean up the room, brush their teeth, take a shower. What are your thoughts on timers? As, a, as an adult, <laughs> okay. I mean, is that a clear expectation when you set a timer? Thirty minutes to get all this. Done? As long as the amount of time expected is reasonable. Sure. Like we shouldn't intentionally set it for five minutes, knowing sure. that there's no way that they can accomplish <laughs> everything. Provoking. Yeah. Right. Yes. But if it's a reasonable amount of time, and you know that they've been wasting time. Yes. Yeah. Then it's okay. Yeah, we, I know that. You know, with our kids, we've, we've done that where we set a timer, and it always seems like, like, set the, set the timer to, to clean their room or something like that, and it seems like they'll wait till the last five minutes to be like, oh, <laughs> I really have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is helpful, but when I was teaching, I was a school teacher, and when I tell them, they, I usually give them actually a time limit to think maybe can't get the whole task done, but maybe 90% of it. And then um, they can't see the timer and I'll let it go. Or if I said five minutes, then I'll let it go for seven to actually let them 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that we used to do timers, like we would take the mobile timer to their bedroom. There's some kids that will be deceptive, you know, so they'll, they'll change the timer or whatever. So we, we would just usually set it on the stove so that they could come and look at it if they needed to. And there was a clear beep at the end where they knew that their time was up. But timers are helpful. We would use timers at the dinner table at times too. If our kids were just persistently not eating, like we'll give you this amount of time. And if you're not done, either there's consequences, your food goes in the fridge and you have to eat it for breakfast tomorrow. So timers are helpful, I think. So typically, if the timer goes off and the task isn't finished, we would discipline them then at yeah. the end. I think timers are helpful for like things like cleaning your room, because you could spend 30 minutes spanking them every two minutes for not staying active, whereas if you have a timer, it's like, you need to finish it in this amount of time or else there will be consequences. I think that's fair, but maybe your home's different, and that's okay, you know? I think you just need to figure that out as mom and dad. And I guess the activity, it depends on the type of obedience, like cleaning your room and stuff, versus don't do that, count up to five, kind of thing. Yeah. It's okay for the first four seconds and then they finally change their attitude. The yeah. There's a different standard for everything. Yeah. All right, well, you got five minutes to get your kids and we pray for us and I'll let you go. Father, we thank you again for today. We thank you for giving us clear instruction as parents of how we can help our kids bring glory to you. We see from Colossians 3 that that's by their obedience to us and that we have been tasked with teaching obedience to them. But there's also that challenge in our own hearts of not provoking them to anger or causing them to be discouraged. So I pray that you would help us to be attentive to our hearts this week. That when we see areas of sin that need to be addressed, that we would be quick to confess those sins and even talk through them with our kids. It's good for them to hear us say that we're sinners in need of God's grace too. And I pray that we would be faithful in our parenting for your glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys.